Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back Charlotte Harris-Reese. She is the author of Secret Maps of the Ancient World and the Asiatic Fathers of America. And she has just released a new publication called Chinese Sail to America Before Columbus, More Secrets from the Dr. Hendon M. Harris Jr. Map Collection. It is a great pleasure to welcome her back because in my view, and I think in her view, she's involved in something as interesting as a Da Vinci Code real-life adventure. It's not a joke, that comment, because in fact, her father had maps from the ancient world that have demonstrated that the Chinese not only were in America thousands of years before Columbus, but it is being held up for verification in the Library of Congress. This has now become a quiet and yet very political phenomenon that's happening. We interviewed Charlotte a few years ago about her book, Secret Maps of the Ancient World. All of you should listen to that interview as a primer for this. There are developments in the last two years and a new book, and I really am so pleased with the work you're doing. Welcome Charlotte Harris-Rees to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you, Kim. That's a great introduction. <laughs> thank you. It's true. You know, I view you as somebody who has a love of learning and is very honorable and works with and through other people and is a professional cooperator. You cooperate with people. Your research is stellar and you're willing to be wrong. And because of that, I'm very interested in your findings. I think your dad is standing up clapping in heaven. So. <laughs> he is, I'm sure, clapping for the work that you're doing. You probably were in your innocence when you were waiting for the Library of Congress to validate these maps. I think that the fact that your bubble has been burst and the fact that they are deliberately giving false information about the real origin of America, who was here thousands of years before the supposed first person to discover America, and the fact that they are not cooperating with you and not giving you a timeline for when your father's maps would be validated is very telling. And I'm sure you didn't expect to be involved in some political wrangle but I think you're in it now, whether you like it or not, just based on the fact that you're very much wanting to tell the truth and to really get the word out about the real origin of America. So talk a little bit about that, and then let's talk about your book. Okay, first off, I liked your introduction about the Da Vinci Code, and I use that frequently when I speak, because uh, this really is a real-life situation where maps, similar to my father's, have been in museums for hundreds of years, and yet people have not recognized what they mean, which was the thesis of, of course, the book Da Vinci Code, that the Mona Lisa was, um, there were secrets on the Mona Lisa. Of course, that was all fiction. But these maps have been hidden in plain sight, and because people didn't think anyone could travel that far that soon, they said the map is part real and part fictional. And the, the world map, the uh, Chan Hado or Tian Sha, which is the uh, title of the, the main map that my father talked about. And um, so people did not believe that they were real. Um, now, my um, contest with the Library of Congress, uh, people can read about that on, on my website. There's actually an email there on my website that went around the world. And my website is um, www.harrismaps.com, and uh, they can read about that. But uh, not only is our map involved, and um, but also they have a map there themselves that's dated to the late 1300s A.D., and they admit it's dated to that date, but they, they refuse to fully authenticate it. Now, that particular map has both Asian and um, Romanized writing on it. It shows Asia and part of North America, um, So, which would indicate if it's late 1300s, it's pre-Columbian. And yet they refuse to fully authenticate it, though they've had it now probably close to 60 years. And um, so anyway, that's part, of, that's part of the contention, too. 
We spoke in the first interview two years ago with you about the authentication process and the Library of Congress as an entity. And I do want you to contextualize who they are, what they do, and what their accountability is so that the public listening today is clear. Okay. Uh, the Library of Congress uh, is the number one library in the world. It was originally built to be the library for our Congress, but it is where all books are copyrighted, musical um, pieces are copyrighted. Uh, they have a fabulous map collection there, um, probably the best in the world. It's uh, I've been into the vault there. It's larger than a football field. Um, it just goes on and on and on, and you don't just you know walk in and go into the vault. You have to be uh, taken into the vault. And um, not everybody that goes there to research is even invited into the vault. But um, and you go with a with somebody from the Library of Congress. But they also have uh, different divisions. Now I want to say that the the man who was the chief of the Asian division of the Library of Congress and retired um, just in a few years back, uh, Dr. Huawei Li has endorsed both my book. The Asiatic Fathers of America, um, I'm sorry, The Secret Maps of the Ancient World, and also Chinese Sailed to America Before Columbus. Uh, so he has endorsed both of those books. Now, the other book, The Asiatic Fathers of America, that is my uh, abridgment of my father's book. And, of course, he's all for that, too. But um, Hua Hui Li has endorsed these books, and he has opened a lot of doors for me. But uh, one man can only do so much, and he has since retired from the Library of Congress. I want to go back a little bit to the fact that you've had communication back and forth with the Library of Congress for how many years now? I started this research nine years ago. Okay. Now, what is the process if they were to all of a sudden decide to, quote, authenticate your father's maps? Actually, that is not the main problem. You know, my father's maps have been authenticated. Um, it is it is to uh, recognize that Chinese what the maps mean. Now, my my father's maps are, are authenticated in that they said that they're genuine Tian Shan Chan Hado maps. Um, but when I went to the Library of Congress, they said, "Well, we are not the expert on Asian maps." And so other people came in. Of course, the Library of Congress never did get uh, you know, anything official in writing, but other people came in. And our maps were there at the Library of Congress for three years. And at that time, they expressed, expressed interest in buying the map, buying the map collection. For how much? Um, there was no price that was ever set. Um, they said that it's their policy that uh, you have to start out with uh, you have to tell them what your price is. In my family, the price that my family wanted was not anything that was close to what they wanted to pay. See, I'm one of seven siblings who co-own these maps. They're not just mine. They, my my father um, died in 81, and so they're, I'm one of seven siblings. So it's not just my opinion. It's, you know, the family at large. So they wanted to buy the maps, and yet they didn't want to verify or authenticate them, supposedly, even though you've had them authenticated by who? I had some of the leading uh, experts. Um, Dr. Kong Li from Beijing was there. Uh, he was working for the Library of Congress, and he, he has said that these are genuine Tian Chan Hado maps. It's not, it's not that they, anyone has questioned that these are genuine maps. It's What's being questioned is what the maps signify. And uh, now the Library of Congress has come out with a book um, that, that uh, talks about world maps. It does mention maps like this in there, um, but, and it does say that the right side of this map might be America. But now it's putting the date of this map at a date which would be 100 years after Columbus arrived in America, so it, it, according to that. Is this the Risi map? No, this is the Chan Hado map that they're talking about. The Risi map is a different one. Okay, so then they came out with a book that is talking about this other map and this other scenario. Well, actually, their book talks about all kinds of different maps around the world, and one of the maps that it does mention is the Tian Cha Chan Hado style map. 
you put puzzle pieces together along with Gavin Menzies and others, but I'm sure that you on a deep level understand the tremendous resistance to acknowledging what your father's maps mean. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I certainly do. And and yet, uh, I, Kim, I'm still getting invitations from many different locations. In fact, I'm going to be quite busy this spring and going to different locations speaking uh, in Europe and um, I even have an invitation to go to Australia, China, Washington, D.C., okay. L.A. Um, you know, I have, I have lots of different invitations to go to different places and explain what information I brought together. You put in a part of the new book, Chinese Sail to America Before Columbus, that there are times in which truth has to reign over peace. Yes. I summarized it, but basically the essence is that at this point, even if you're ruffling feathers, you'd rather the truth be known. With the tremendous fear and concern about Chinese supremacy in the monetary level, the world power and position, the mysterious culture, I'm talking from the American point of view, tremendous paranoia as well, and an anger that a lot of the business has been sent over to China the sentiment doesn't seem ripe for accepting this body of discoveries, really. Yet, there are people who are receptive and who really want to know. Right. But at the same time, in our last interview, we had talked about the thinking that you don't want to necessarily give them ammunition to try to come back and take over the United States. A lot of people, oh no, they go there in their mind. And I want you to speak to that because you know what? It's a valid concept because of the sentiment and the concern here. There's a lot of concern here about China. I know you know why, but speak to that for a moment. Okay, uh, Kim, let me say first, I'm an American. I'm a daughter of the American Revolution. Uh, my family and relatives have been in America for a very long time, and and yet I want truth to be told. I don't want anything bad to happen to America. And I, if I thought anything bad would be happen to America as a result of what I'm saying, I would not say it. Um, however, I think that truth needs to be told. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, we don't expect that the French and the Spanish are going to come back and try to take America. Uh, no, um, we don't expect that the British are going to come back and try to take America. So why would people think that the Chinese would try to come back and take America? Uh, I think that that it's obvious by just looking at the Native Americans where they came from. And when people study DNA, they find out that, yes, they did come from Asia. But I think it's just part of the big picture. Talk about the Native Americans coming from Asia, because for a lot of people, that's a huge shock. Well, many people have been saying, you know, when I talk to them, when people listen to the explanations that I give about the, the correlation between the customs in Asia and the customs in, of the Native Americans, the advanced technology um, that, that happened among some of the Native Americans, um, the explanation, the only explanation they can come up with is that this had to have come from Asia. Um, but there is a big correlation, even down to the point that some of the Native Americans have a parasite in their breast milk that is also in the breast milk of uh, Asian babies, Chinese babies. And it's only passed from the mother to child through the nursing of the baby. So. If they don't believe the DNA, they should believe the parasite. There have been many books written about things that have been carried back and forth, things that have been found in the wrong place. The American peanut has been found in more than one Chinese dig from 2000 B.C., dated to 2000 B.C., and many things from Asia found in uh, American tombs, ancient Peruvian tombs, or um, in, in Chinese writing in America. Many things carried back and forth. So there definitely is a correlation. Um, one of the interesting things that I just read the last couple days is that some of the Canadian Native Americans are applying to the Chinese government to help them in human rights conflicts that they're having in Canada. 
and it will be interesting to see if the Chinese government does come to their aid. That is going to be interesting. Well, I think there'd need to be a recognition of the connectedness of the peoples. Yes, and, and I know of at least one instance where a Navajo Indian went with a group of Chinese back to China and um, to meet his Chinese relatives. One of the interesting stories that I heard is um, about Yo-Yo Ma, um, who's the famous um, cellist. Yes. And they were doing a DNA study, and they found out that he was uh, related to Eva, and I can never say her last name, on one of the Desperate Housewives, who's Native American. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and what's interesting is that Yo-Yo Ma's family, his parents were the first generation out of China. And yet their DNA shows that they're related. But I think that more and more studies are going to come out like this, where they'll trace them back to the exact family that they're from. Talk a little bit about DNA testing. For many of us, I'd say for most of us, we don't really know what's done and how it works. Can you give us a context? DNA testing can be done, um, any kind of body, bodily fluid. They can even do a swab in the mouth. And uh, they do DNA testing, and from that, they test the mitochondrial DNA usually. And the mitochondrial is what passes from mother to child, and it passes unchanged. Unlike our regular DNA, which is a combination of our our parents, the mitochondrial passes um, unchanged. So it can go many generations and be the exact duplicate of what's before. And then there's suddenly there might be a very small mutation in the in the DNA. So the Native Americans, their DNA is most of the um, haplogroups from the Native Americans are A, B, C, and D. What's a haplogroup? I know you've mentioned it in the first interview two years ago, but I want you to lay it out for us today. It's a grouping of DNA. I guess that's the easiest way to explain it. And I am no expert on DNA, but this is what I've studied but it's a grouping of DNA, and uh, 98% of the, the Native Americans are A, B, C, and D. Now, there is a small subgroup of X, which is also found um, in China, but that, that's a whole different story. But the, these A, B, C, and D are the, are the 98%. After many years, there's a, there's, there might be a mutation, but so we know that... that um, the DNA from Asia, from the Native Americans is slightly different, but basically the same as the DNA from Asia or, and specifically from China. What about the labs, DNA labs? How do you know whether the labs are connected in politically with certain groups or not? How do you know that they're doing pure work, if you know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. The initial studies on DNA were done for medical purposes. Uh, because different ethnic groups respond differently to different medications. For instance, Asian children uh, react differently and in a bad way to Tamiflu, which is uh, something that we might take to help stop flu. Anyway, um, so they they did this, this medical testing not to prove any point, but what they did was they came up that Native Americans had these a, B, C, and D haplogroups, but they've divided, uh, I guess, the world into different haplogroups and, and see how they respond to different medicines. Now, a, an interesting sidelight to this is I think that eventually uh, they will have our own private DNA that the doctors will be able to use to find out what medicine is going to help Kim or what medicine is going to help Charlotte, you know, uh, because we are all individual people, and so we need specialized medicine that will help us and not hurt us. The studies were done not to try to prove something. They, in fact, they were not done by Chinese people saying, okay, we're going to claim the Native Americans. They were done by uh, Western labs that were trying to prove this. And there, there are several different uh, implications. In fact, um, uh, one of the people, the early people that dis discovered this was someone in Australia, and he said that the Native Americans have Asian DNA. Very interesting. Talk a little bit about how the Harris maps are not carbon dated. They're expensive, and there's other problems with carbon dating. Would you share a little bit about that and expand our understanding of carbon dating 
and why the maps are not carbon dated in your experience? How we have dated our maps is is the way that they usually date map books like this. And there are, as, as I mentioned before, other map books like ours. And it's partly by what else is in what other maps in the series. And for instance, um, there there's a map in, in the series that is a um, 1471 map. Uh, there's a map in the series, two maps that are 1471 maps. There's a map of Korea that's a 1481 map. Um, there's a uh, the Cognito, which is the 1402 um, uh, map. Uh, no, I'm sorry, the Cognito is not in our in our books, but in our in our map books, there are other other maps. Uh, there is a, a Chinese map which which um, is from a very early date. So we date it with that. Now to do carbon dating, you have to cut a piece out and. Um, I am personally in favor of doing that, but as I mentioned before, there's seven of us, and I cannot just take a piece of the map and cut them out, and then you know that that piece is forever gone. I did mention in Chinese Sail to America before Columbus, someone else who did have her map carbon dated because she had no other maps in a book; she just had the one world map, um, and. They gave her a wide span of several hundred years, and so I said, "What's the sense in paying a large amount of money to have them carbon dated if you already know that they're in that time span?" So, carbon dating could be off by hundreds of years or thousands of years. Um, hundreds. Okay. I guess it depends on how far you back. The further you go back in history, the more years it could be off. And who are the people that do the carbon dating, and are they trustworthy if they're politically connected to, let's say, the Library of Congress, the federal government, and who else? I don't believe any of, of that, um, that they would they would be wrong. Uh, now, I could be wrong, but I think she told me it was the same people that had dated the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't think... You know what I like about you, Charlotte, among many things? <laughs> you have retained your total innocence, even to this moment. <laughs> and I like it that you're not a skeptic. I'm not a skeptic, but I have had experiences that have allowed me to see that even good people doing good work can be given orders to do things that they don't want to do. And they can't leave their post and they can't fight the powers that be. But the carbon dating seems simple enough to do. I don't know what it would really prove or why you would need to do it. Is that the issue with the Library of Congress? Um, well, they their particular map that I mentioned earlier, they said that they had carbon dated it, in a, and they came up with the late 1300s date. So their date, somehow their dating is more exact. I don't know. Um, but yet they, they didn't want to fully authenticate it. Okay. It's interesting. Let's talk about the European maps that were shown of America, where you said regarding the straight on onion uh-huh. that there was too much too soon shown on those maps. I want you to just lay it out. I don't want to give much away in the way of your book, but I thought this was important just as a little piece. Early American explorers, when they came to, to North and South America, they started drawing maps when they were still on the East coast had not reached the West coast before they had even reached the Pacific. They were drawing maps of the whole West coast. And everybody marvels, how could they have done it? And they were relatively accurate maps, even showing the Bering Strait, uh, which was not even discovered by Westerners until several hundred years later. Is that what you're calling the Strait of Onion? Yes, the Bering Strait. So that is the Bering Strait? Yes. Okay. Wow. So very early on, they were drawing the Bering Strait. Now, how did they even know it was there? And it... And I, I explained in uh, Secret Maps of the Ancient World that finally the British paid um, to have somebody find it. That was not until 200 or 300 years later. So they were drawing all this. Now, one of the things that I find really interesting is the uh, 1602 map that was made in China. Is that the Risi map? Yes. Okay, talk about that. That map was made in China. Well, actually, it was a, a priest from Europe, 
who made it in Chinese in China, collaborating with the Chinese. Now, that map shows on the Great Plains, it shows buffalo. Okay, now, if you stop and think about it, it shows buffalo and wild horses. Uh, It discusses them. And uh, if you stop and think about it, 1602 is before 1607, the founding of Jamestown. And Jamestown is on the East Coast in Virginia, my home state. It's on the East Coast. And yet the Great Plains is in the middle of the continent. None of the European explorers had gotten to the middle of the continent by 1602. And so how in the world did they know, this priest in China know, that there were buffalo on the Great Plains. Well, 200 years after that was when Lewis and Clark finally get get to the Great Plains, and sure enough, there are buffalo there. So how does this 1602 map show that? And there are other things that it shows. It names Canada. I thought it was interesting that it names in Chinese Bahama, just where the Bahamas are. And Also, I found very interesting that the 1602 map in Chinese names the Amazon nation because I had mentioned in Secret Maps of the Ancient World that I thought perhaps Amazon was of Chinese derivation. No one's been able to find out where the word Amazon came from. And even the 1602 map even mentions the word which sounds like Mayan and hints at architectural structures. Now, to me, this is just mind-blowing that we know that this map is 1602 uh, because the European man was involved with it, the European priest was involved with it. Um, There there are uh, copies of this map in American universities. There's um, uh, copies of this map in Japan now. So we know that this is an authentic map, and yet it's showing all these things, and we're saying, how in the world did they have it unless somebody was there and and saw it? So he had to have gotten, this European priest had to have gotten this information from the Chinese because it's made in China, and he did have collaboration from the Chinese. Now, for years they said that, that um, Matteo Ricci, he, he did this map himself. But now they're finally saying, well, he did this in collaboration with the Chinese scholars. (laughs) The plot thickens. Indeed. (laughs) What other interesting treasures would you like to share? And then I do want to talk about the Korean influence in map making and relationship to the Japanese and the Korean works. But please go ahead. Well, in writing this book, one of the big revelations to me was in trying to understand this map. Um, I, I saw a comment on the on the internet recently that somebody said, you know, what this map looked like, and it wasn't very complimentary. And it is a strange-looking map. And I know that when I first looked at it, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. But one of the big things in doing the research was finally discovering what that outside circle of water is. And... And in a lot of these maps that are similar to my father's maps are the actual outer ring, not the water ring, but the land ring inside that is much more square than even the one that I show on the cover of this book. But anyway, that outer circle of water isn't water at all. And what it is is it's where the earth meets the sky. And so this goes with the Chinese theory that the heaven is shaped like an umbrella, is round and shaped like an umbrella. The earth is square like a chessboard. And so they have this square earth inside the round umbrella. And um, when you take away the outer water, then the map becomes, to me, much more understandable. Because to me, before that, it was just like, okay, we've got these endless rings of water and land and water and land and, you know, what in the world is going on? Um, but when you take, the, take that away and say that's just the atmosphere, then the, the map makes much more sense 
How did you get to that revelation? In other words, did you have people in the Chinese imagery helping you with things? How did you get there? It was just by reading different texts, and it was a Korean text. Now, the man that um, I was I was reading about that, that that this is actually the atmosphere. He still could not see that it was in America divided, and so I thought, oh my goodness, you know, he can see that this this outer edge is the at, uh, atmosphere, but he. Um, yet was not able to recognize that America had been cut in half, as other scholars had stated. So different scholars had different pieces of the puzzle. I had to go to a lot of different places for this information. You want to talk a little bit about the Korean maps? I think also I want people to understand that your dad was born in Kaifeng, China, correct? Yes. And that he had gotten these maps in an antique store? He had gotten the first of his maps at an antique store in, in Korea. And he was not looking for maps at all. He was looking for paintings. And um, because he would come back to the United States periodically and would sell the paintings to make a little bit of extra cash. And so the proprietor of the store said, well, do you want to look at map books? And he said, oh, sure, you know, I'll look at a map book. And um, then when he looked at it and saw that it had uh, Fu Song, which, he had read about that this was America, but that nobody was able to prove it. He saw Fu Song on the American coastline, and he said, oh, my goodness. And he became so weak, he had to sit down. What was your dad's background? As far as education or what? Just his background, work, kind of life in China. Oh, okay. He was born in China, but give a little bit of background about when he came to America, how long he was in China. Share a little bit that you know. Oh, Okay. He was, uh, like I said, he was born in Kaifeng, China, to missionary parents. Uh, his grandparents had been also been missionaries. And um, so when he came, he came back to the United States when he was 10 years old. And after that, then uh, it was a few years later, then they had the Great Depression. So he wasn't able to, to go back by the time his parents went back to China um, he had already started college. He started college at only 16 years old. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he was a very brilliant man, very brilliant man. Um, and But he always had a love for China and wanted to go back to China. And uh, he, so he was a missionary himself. He has a uh, had a doctorate in theology. Did he speak the language? Oh, yes. He spoke it well. And, however... When he became an adult, he forgot his childhood Chinese. But when he went, became a missionary, he went to Taiwan because at that time China was closed to, to outsiders. And so he went to Taiwan. When he relearned Chinese, he learned it with the accent, accent from Kaifeng. Interesting. And so somewhere in your brain it's, it's stored. Now, one of the things I spoke Chinese well as a child and whenever I go back to China for any period of time, I try to study Chinese, and everybody tells me I speak with a Taiwanese accent. <laughs> <laughs> you had written that many of the old maps, the Korean maps, were destroyed as a result of Japanese occupation, and yet the Korean maps seem to be very important, too. Can you talk about that? Okay, right. Um, there were several times that... Um, Korea was occupied by the Japanese, and they took, either took or destroyed many of the Korean maps. Um, but the Koreans, a lot of their maps, and they say this all along, a lot of their maps are borrowed from the Chinese. Now, the Koreans themselves, they claim that they are the originators of this particular Chanhado or Tian Cha map. They, that's what they claim, that they, they were the ones that made this map. And yet there's much evidence that this map came from the Chinese. In fact, the oldest known positively dated copy of the Tian Shao Chanhado map is in a Chinese book. And so, and uh, Joseph Needham, who is the leading scholar, Western scholar on all things Chinese, uh, he mentions an incident from a text um, from the 3rd century A.D. that, that, talks about something that happened in the 18th century B.C. regarding a map of this style. 
Now, it doesn't draw the map, but it talks about that the map has um, the Fusong tree, which is, the Fusong is what we believe to be America, and that has the Fusong tree, and it has the concentric circles. So we definitely believe that it's the same style map, that it goes back that far in time. You said in the book that your dad believed that the Qian Sha maps? Yes which were undated and unsigned, he felt that they had descended from extremely early Shanghai Jing maps? Yes. Talk about that. Okay, the Shanghai Jing, um, Shan means mountain, Hai means sea, and Jing means revered text. And so um, it has been quoted down through Chinese history. And it talks about travels to the ends of the earth and Part of these travels are to a land that's called Fusong, or land to the east. And what is east of China, a big land, you know, other than the Americas. Um, but the, it does descri- describe travels all over the world. And the Chinese text said that originally there was a map that accompanied the Shanghai Jing, but somehow over the years, the thousands of years, because this was this was reportedly written about 2000 B.C., about the time of Sarah and Abraham of the Old Testament. Um, but anyway, that it was the map and the Shanghai Jing were separated. So my father believes that this is the map that accompanied the Shanghai Jing because 72% of the place names on this map are from the Shanghai Jing. And uh, the history of cartography will tell you that, that 72% of the place names are from the document, the Shanghai Jing. And they are in the locations that the Shanghai Jing said they would be. If they say they're in the north, they're in the north. If they're in the um, northeast, you know, each location plays out where they said they would be. Now, over the years, many people believed that the Shanghai Jing was just myth because um, some of the some of the place names are very strange place names. You know, some of them are like land of women. How do you have a land of women with no men? You know, how are you going to propagate yourself? Um, So, you know, but there is this, the land of women is on these maps. In fact, it's in two different places. One is is in the location of where the Amazons would be, and one is in the location that we believe would be California. And on early Spanish maps, they also had a land of women on the location of California. When you say a placeholder, what do you mean? I know what it sounds like, but why would a placeholder be on a map? Like you just name something? It's fantastic names, names that that don't sometimes make sense to us. Okay. Um, But maybe it was a land that was run by women or the women were in charge of the government, or maybe it was a, a land that the men were off hunting someplace, and they just the, the people who were traveling just encountered women. Got it. Now, the interesting thing about the, at least with the Korean maps that I read about, I'm sure it's with other maps, was that these maps were so serious. They had state secrets, where naval bases were, where underground bunkers were, all kinds of things. Do you want to talk about how important the maps were? Right. Um, the maps that are in the other maps in the map books, they, they do, like you said, have state secrets, where the water wells are, where the military bases are. Um, I was told at one time that if a private citizen had been found with a map like that, he might have been executed because it had too many state secrets. Yet the first map in this album is this world map, um, which people are saying is imaginary. Now, why in the world would you put an imaginary map in with something that um, would be a state secret, that somebody could lose their life over having that information? It just didn't make sense. That, that the world map would be um, something that would just be imaginary. And yet at the same time, I truthfully don't believe that the Koreans totally understood what the world map represented. I believe that they it's a borrowed map that they got from the Chinese. They did not understand that many of these faraway lands uh, were real people. But at that period of time when... Our particular maps were circulating in Korea. 
uh, Korea, because of Chinese dominance, was shut down to the outside world. So they were just using a map that they had been given by somebody else. I wonder if it's possible to have a kind of repository or a clearinghouse of the new developments that Gavin Menzies and his team and you and your team and others could assemble. Evidence-based stuff. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're all connected and passing information back and forth and doing what you can to verify things and contextualize your findings. I wonder if the puzzle's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure that it is. I'm sure that it is. And I know of um, about eight people who are working on books on different aspects of this uh, right now, uh, that, that their books are close to being ready to be published. One man is working just on the 1602 map. And I think that that will be an excellent book when it comes out. You mean an analysis of what it means? Right, right. And that map clearly shows, clearly shows that um, North America. It's no question that it's North America. Now, when some people look at our map, they say, you know, how in the world can this be North America? And yet people who are using it at the time say that this is a North America divided. Um, but, but the 1602 map is a very clear early map that shows uh, America. Are you allowed to say who's coming out with that book yet? I don't think that I can say that yet. Okay. But I'm just saying that he's done a lot of research. He's very well qualified. He has a PhD. He's Chinese, so he can read all the information on it. And I think that that, that's just one of the examples of of what's coming out now. Um, it, It will be an excellent work. But there are many different aspects of this that are being studied all at the same time. And the field is so broad of the people in the past who have studied this. For instance, people who have studied the the comparison of the Mayan calendar with the Chinese calendar, they've spent a lifetime studying that one thing. How interesting. Do you uh, know people like that? I have talked to people like that. I would love to interview them. (laughs) Um, If you go back to Secret Maps of the Ancient World and... um, uh, I, I will tell you um, later some names, but if you go to that. Now, for all the listeners, too, if you just go on on Amazon and if you there's a certain aspect of my book that you want to see from within the book, go on the title of the book and say, look inside the book. And if you just go to Secret Maps of the Ancient World and type in Mayan calendar, you'll find what I said about the Mayan calendar. Um, it will take you right to that particular page. And so I use that a lot myself in finding out, okay, now what page did I write this on in the book? <laughs> um, you, you can use that as a, as a study tool. We're hopelessly entwined with Internet everything, aren't we? Yeah, but it's funny that the author sometimes uses Amazon to find out what's inside my own book. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of wild, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> what are some of your hopes in the next five to ten years in terms of your work now? Well, I would like to see others uh, studying this. Um, One of the things that my father said, he said we need more young researchers to pick up the spade and dig deeper. And I guess that was what I would like to see. Of course, I'm going to continue to do it, but I am just a one-person operation. I don't have a secretary. I work out of my home. I, uh, I read a lot of books. And the Internet has been wonderful in being uh, connected with a lot of different people around the world. Uh, When I sent out um, my new book, uh, Chinese Sail to America Before Columbus, I had some uh, pre-release sales of that book. And um, before it was even released, I had orders from five continents and all across the United States. So there are a lot of people... Uh, all over the world who are interested in this subject of of America and its connection with ancient China. I like the way your books are packaged, the way they look, they feel ancient, and the big writing in it. (laughs) Oh, that's that's partly because I'm ancient. I like the big writing. (laughs) I think it's great. Do you have your own graphics people that do this beautiful work for you, or is this a publisher thing? Author House did that. Um, I, you know, I had to insist 
with them that I wanted the 14 point instead of the 12 uh, because I thought it would explain it better. I did go to a, that larger size, eight, eight and a half by 11, um, because I, I wanted more of the maps to show. Uh, so I have, I have done that. I would love to be able to do it in a book that I have the maps in color in the book. That sounds like a coffee table book to me. It could be. It very well. In fact, it could be gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Wow. That would be a great book. And talk about something to talk about at the coffee table. <laughs> now, I'm, all, I'm already talking about my next two books. <laughs> are you? What are you doing? Um, I have some ideas. You know, Chinese had talked about their travels in the United States. And I have been to some of those locations. They're very similar to what was described. And I would sort of like to do a travelogue, do the whole long trip and write it up and say, this is what they described and this is what I found. And uh, it is amazing how similar it is to what they described. I, I have no doubt that they were here, Kim. I have no doubt at all. I don't either after reading your books and Gavin's. I really don't. But I think it all goes back uh, to that people were traveling the world. It wasn't just Chinese. and. As I mentioned in Secret Maps of the Ancient World, it wasn't just Chinese and it wasn't just Minoans. There were other people who were traveling the world by the seas at very early dates. And one of the big revelations to me was when I compared this map to the map made by NOAA, um, the U.S. government uh, organization that does mapping of the seas, and it showed uh, where the currents in the ocean travel around the world, and to demonstrate that, they had to do a map that has the Americas divided. And I was giving a lecture one time, and I looked up and I, at this map uh, produced by uh, the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yeah, NOAA, right? Yeah, NOAA. And um, I said, they have Americas divided just as it is on this map. And I think that part of the reason that the Tianxia Chanhado maps were divided. Well, China was in the middle, and, you know, definitely we start a map from where we are, but also because it's indicating that they traveled by the sea, and this is where the sea would have taken them. So you have them coming around Africa. You have them coming through the Atlantic, the Pacific. You know, they could travel everywhere by this way, and Chinese DNA and Chinese artifacts have been found all over the world. What do you think about the Library of Congress? Do you think that they're going to ever address your request? I sort of doubt it because right now they're the elephant, I'm the flea. (laughs) (laughs) If they address it, then it could open a big can of worms. So I sort of doubt that they will. Um, But I've tried to build up such a tsunami of evidence that, they have to address it, but I don't know. And speaking of tsunamis, one of the interesting things is the tsunami that had happened uh, just in 2011 because of that Japanese earthquake. The things from that tsunami have already hit the west coast of the Americas in the same path that people could have crossed the Pacific. There's this river that's 60 miles wide in the Pacific that carries objects from Asia to America. It's continually flowing in a racetrack shape and bringing things to America, and it's brought the tsunami things down to the American West Coast, uh, starting in uh, Canada and going down the West Coast of the United States. But that current is constantly flowing, and I believe that's how the earliest uh, Asians came to America is by that current. Oh, interesting. I don't want to end this segment with you without talking about your daughter, Minty. The book is dedicated to her. Something about her. Wow. <laughs> Minty died in a car crash in uh, 2005, eight days after I spoke at the Library of Congress. And um, that was... Wow, such a blow because it was such a high speaking at the Library of Congress and then such a low to get a phone call and said that your 29-year-old daughter has been killed in a car crash. 
And um, for years I did not say anything in public about it for fear that when I spoke in public I would cry, and I didn't want to do that. Um, Minty was adopted. My my three children are all adopted, and um, we were told that her um, birth father was Cherokee. And so we don't know a whole lot about him. In fact, that's just about all that I know about him. Um, but I was told by a dentist at one time that she had a very different type of teeth, which in doing this research I found that, yes, many Native Americans do this, do have this Asian have the Asian type of teeth. And um, so I, I believe that she was um, definitely half Native American. I know that she would be so proud of you right now. And I'm sure she's honored that you dedicated the new book to her. Thank you for sharing that with us. We really miss her, and but she's such a sweetheart. And, you know, when we went to her house to see her widower that day there on her computer was my speech from the Library of Congress that she had downloaded. I'm so sorry about the loss of your daughter. It's one of the great losses of a person's life is to lose their child. Yes, yes. You know, um, I had been in the news just before that in our small town because I was going to speak at the Library of Congress, and so they come rushing out, and they want a statement from me, and I, I just said my heart. I said, you know, I'm just thankful to God that I had her for the 29 years. Um, you know, what a gift she was. And uh, I, I really am. That was the truth. You know, I'm just so thankful. And um, my husband and I have, have grieved over the loss of her, but uh, we're so thankful for her life. And, and uh, I thank God for that. I really want to thank you for coming back and sharing your time and your new book and revelations with us. Thank you very, very much for the leadership and wanting the truth to come out about who was here before Columbus and all the writing and research and putting together the pieces of a mystery, a worthy puzzle. We look forward to your new books. Thank you for being a guest on It's Rainmaking Time. For those of you who would like to order her books, you can go to asiaticfathers.com, A-S-I-A-T-I-C fathers.com. You can also go on Amazon, and you can also order the CD as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kim.